Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. In light of that, like I said, let's open up Psalm 5. That's going to be the first one we look at today. Um, and I was talking to a guy, a uh, member of this church. He's not in this class. Uh, at least I don't see him here today. Uh, but he would fit in this age and stage, and he was talking about some problems in his life and stuff. And he said, you know, the way I grew up, and I think this would probably be the way a lot of men certainly grew up in the southeast, is like, uh, you don't, men don't have emotions, right? If you start to cry, you stuff it, you don't deal with it. And he's married now, and got a kid, and he's like, I'm realizing that's not a great pattern for marriage and raising children uh, to just always stuff my emotions and pretend like they don't exist. He's like, but, but I've trained myself, basically, for 30 years, for better or worse, to live this way. How do I kind of undo that? And I said, well, that's one of the great things about the book of Psalms, and especially the Psalms of King David, uh, because David was a man's man, right? Nobody wants to say, well, David's just a big pansy. I don't want to be like him. It's like, no, David like killed giants with his bare hands. So it's like, I would like to be a guy like that. And he also played a harp in his spare time, uh, which where I grew up, if you played a harp, you get beat up. Uh, and so uh, David was a man's man, but he was very in touch with his emotions. And so, so much of what the Psalms do is they teach us a biblical way, not a modern therapeutic way, but a biblical way to be in touch with our emotions before the Lord. And so that's one of the reasons that we want to look at that. So Psalm 5 is a good example. We don't know for sure when it was written. It most likely was written when David was running from his own son Absalom, who was trying to kill him and overthrow him. So just imagine, if you were ever going to have some negative emotions, it would probably be on that day. And a lot of commentators would say, it may have been that Psalm 3 was written kind of the first day, or in light of the first day when he ran. Psalm 4 might have been written that night. Uh, or the next night, and then Psalm 5 was written kind of the second day. And so there's this perspective of, hey, I had suffering yesterday, I prayed about it, and God gave me some peace to get through the day. And then I wake up again tomorrow, and guess what? The problem hadn't gone away. I'm still struggling. You ever had an issue like that? So as we're going to go into this, here's what I'd like to get you to think about. What's the main thing in your life right now that's hard? What's the main thing in your life uh, that you're concerned about, you're, you're worried about, that's it's, it's heartbreaking or it's heavy or that you're confused about. And let me ask you this question. What if God, maybe there's a question, like, God, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. What's going to happen? I'm wrestling with this. And what if God spoke to you and just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you the answer in one day. Or maybe he spoke and said, no, no, I'm going to give you the answer two weeks from now. Or maybe he spoke and said, no, no, I'll give you the answer three months from now. Or he said, Trust me, in the next four years, you'll get the answer. Or maybe it's like, hey, five decades from now, right? You know, that would be hard, right? I mean, one day's not that bad. Five decades? Some of us are like, I don't know if I'll still be here, in fact, to, to get the answer. But here's what's oftentimes harder, and this is more where we live, because probably some of y'all are like, well, God's never really spoken to me like that. Exactly. Most of the time, we're struggling with something, and we don't know when God's going to answer. We don't know when. I mean, it's just, hey, hey, wait until I tell you to quit waiting. Whereas if I knew, i got to wait even four years, right? But it's like four years, everything will be settled. There would be something easy about that, right? But when it's just like, 
I don't know when it's going to be over. It's pretty hard. And let's look at how David prays in such a time. Just a, a simple outline. Hear, help, honor. So, hear me. Psalm 5, verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house at your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. Now he starts the prayer out in the way that he starts many of his psalms out. Basically saying, hey God, I really need you to pay attention this time. Hear me. It just Maybe you can answer out loud or maybe not. How often do we start our prayers like that? We don't, we, that's not typically the way Western evangelicals pray. Why not? I think what most of us would say is this. Well, I'm so spiritually mature. I know all the right answers. I know God hears me. God's sovereign here. But let me just say, has there ever even once in your whole life been a time where you kind of started your prayer like this? Okay, and when was it? In distress. You were distressed. You were desperate. You weren't going through the motions. It wasn't just a random Monday where you woke up and you were just checking the box of having your quiet time. You're like, my world's falling apart, God, and I need, you. I want you to hear and to act and to move. Right? When the psalmist say, hear me, they don't just mean, it means do what I'm asking you. Show up. Move. Because I'm desperate. And if you don't, I don't know if I'm going to survive. There was a guy I used to listen to a lot named Leonard Ravenhill. And he said, sometimes the best prayer is just to cry. I was just with my extended family last week. And two of my uh, siblings have brand new babies that are almost kind of the same, you know, months old. And one of my, my youngest sister, she's a brand new mom, first baby. But a baby in the other room would start crying and she would say, that's mine. She, knew, she could distinguish the cry from the other baby in the house. I couldn't. Not only that, she can, you know, and I remember Lena could do this our kids. Like, that's a dirty diaper cry. That's a tired cry. That's a hungry cry. What brings a parent running more than just a cry? I mean, I was trying to think about it. He was like, my oldest son is 22. He's back home for the summer. He doesn't cry very much. Uh, but if I did hear him crying, it probably would bring me running. Because I was like, well, that's strange. And sometimes what we need to do in our prayer life, guys, is just cry out, Oh God, hear me, help me, have mercy. Verse 2 and 3, look how he said, you're my, you're my God, you're my King. And, and John Calvin says, it's like he's stacking up these different titles of God to stir up his sense of hope that God really is going to answer. God, you have all these different relationships to me. You're my king, you're my lord, you're my master, you're my creator. And so for all those reasons, you should come running, you should answer me. <coughs> Verse 3, two different times, in the morning, in the morning. What's he doing? He's saying, I prioritize my prayer life. 
This is not something haphazard when I have a lazy Saturday and I don't have anything better to do and there's nothing worth watching on TV. And I say, well, I might as well spend some time praying. This isn't, listen, there's no place in the Bible that says that you have to have your time in prayer in the morning. But there's a lot of people in the Bible and a lot of people in Christian history that give us that example because your mind's fresh before the distractions of the day to say, this is the most important thing. I want to be alone with you and I want you to help me set the pace for the day. So, uh, there ought to be a method to our madness, a plan, a priority, but there ought to also be passion. And sometimes those two things seem like they go away from each other, right? If I got too much order, there's no passion. And if it's all just passion, there's no order. But think about a great marriage. A great marriage, you probably ought to have some regular routine of a date night, right? But if your date night becomes every Friday night, 6 o'clock, Mexican restaurant, down the road, same burrito, same cheese dip. Maybe one of you likes that. I bet one of you doesn't. And there's something similar in our walk with God. We, we need enough order that it's faithful, it's consistent, but there also needs to be enough passion and zeal that it's not dead. Okay. And part of what will give it the zeal is when you're really looking for an answer. Look at the end of verse 3. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Mm-hmm. A guy named Sharnock says this. I love this quote. Prayer without expectation of an answer is practical atheism. If you're praying for things, God save my kid, God heal my family member, God do this at work, whatever it is you're praying for, God fix this in my finances, but you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just checking the box. Practically speaking, you're an atheist. You're living as though God's not real. There ought to be this expectation, not a, not a presumption. God might say no. God might do something different or better. But there ought to be this hungering expectation God's going to show up. Now, verses 4 through 6, I mean, basically starts saying, Hey, God, I really do believe that you're going to do something right because these people are killers They're liars, they're murderers, they're rebels, and I hate what they're doing. It hurts. They're slandering me. They're saying terrible stuff about me. It's not true. They're gossiping. It hurts. But God, what I know is you hate sin more than I do. And that's my comfort is you're going to handle it in the right time the right way. Derek Kidner, great commentator on the Psalms, he said this, if God were to try his character instead of his case, he would become undone. You understand what he's saying there? This is... This is important in the psalm because we're gonna, we'll probably run into this in half the psalms we look at because they're just in the Bible all the time where David or the other psalmists, they pray against their enemies, right? And again, they don't pray nice, sweet, modern, 21st century, Western-type prayers. Oh, bless their heart. It's like, kill them. And a lot of times we get to places like this in the psalm we're like, ah, I don't really understand how that works with the New Testament, so let me just skip to another psalm. He's like, oh, this one has it too. The next thing you know, you skip 13 psalms in a row. Now, here's the thing. Let me give two perspectives that I think will help us. Because, again, I, I want us as much as is possible to mold our hearts and our minds and our prayer lives around the way the Bible teaches us to pray and not just our modern sensibilities. And this is the prayer book of the Bible. When David or another psalmist prays this way, they're never saying, hey, God... I'm sinlessly perfect, and those people are just totally wicked, so you should nuke them, and you should bless me. They're never praying that way. 
What they are saying is, God, in this specific case, if you were a judge in this specific case, I am the innocent defendant, and they are the out-of-order prosecutor, and I'm asking you to step in and vindicate me in this specific case. Right? David could say, hey, God, you called me to be king. I didn't ask to be king. You made me king. And now my son is trying to kill me. This is terrible. Judge between us. Let me just make it really practical for you. Imagine if you had a job change. You're supposed to move to Nashville. And so maybe you've been up there recently with one of your children visiting a certain school just a few months ago. And you start hearing gunshots. And in the panic of the moment, you're trying to hide and cower with your children and you realize what's going on. And then you hear the police get there running up the stairs. And that split second, what's going to be the prayer that you pray first? Maybe if you're super spiritual, you're going to say, Oh God, please help the gunman repent right now. Put down their rifle and pray to receive Christ. And listen, if you do, more power to you. But I'm just telling you, what I'm going to pray right after that, if I have the wherewithal to pray that, is, hey, God, if they're not going to repent in the next one second, let the cops kill them. And does anybody have a problem with that? You shouldn't. I mean, that's the way the biblical authors pray. God, we hate sin, especially when it's against us. We don't hate it perfectly, right? Because we got our own sin. But God... When I see other people sinning out there in the world, and I hate it, what I can do, I, I don't need to take vigilante justice, but what I can do is say, you hate sin perfectly, and you will judge it in the right time the right way. Hear me, God. So, let's keep going. That, hear me. And then he moves into more of a, help me. Okay? He's really kind of already doing it, but now it's going to get really specific. Verse 8, O Lord... Lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. So even 4 through 6, I mean, four through six even in end of verse 7, there's a sense of confidence. He's like, God, I know you hate wickedness. I know you're going to do the right thing. But y'all remember in 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah says to Ahab and the whole nation of Israel, Hey, rain's coming. You better get home. The rain's coming. He's prophesying, confident. The rain is coming. You remember what he went and did right after that? He got on his knees and started praying for the rain. And he kept sending his servant. That, that seems like a contradiction to us. That's the biblical tension we're supposed to live in. I am confident that God is going to do the right thing in the right time in the right way. It's going to be perfect. And yet, I'm still really wrestling with God. I don't see any clouds around here. <laughs> please, please keep your word. Please be faithful. Please show up. That's not, listen, that's not weak faith, guys. That's real faith. That's alive faith. That's vibrant faith. That's clinging faith. I mean, maybe one of the best prayers in the entire New Testament is the man that has the boy that's possessed with a demon and he brings him to Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, and Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible to him who believes. And he says, I do believe, but what? Help my unbelief. And that's where we live, right? And Jesus was not a prosperity gospel preacher because Jesus didn't say, well, your faith is too weak. Get out of here. Jesus said, okay, I'll cast the demon out. He, he's such a good, gracious God. 
Even our weak, struggling, bare minimum faith, He often condescends to answer. And that ought to give us great hope in our prayers. Okay? That God is going to do the best thing, the right thing for me in the long run. Okay? Now, look at specifically what He's praying in verse 8. O Lord, lead me in Your righteousness because of my foes. Make Your way straight before me. He's saying... God, there are people out here literally trying to kill me. They are waiting for me to screw up. And if I say or do one wrong thing, they're going to exploit it. And so, God, I need an extra dose of wisdom to make sure that I'm walking closely with you in all the decisions I have to make. Charles Spurgeon said this, Errors about my duty may lead us into a sea of sins before we know where we are. Sometimes we can make stupid mistakes at work, in marriage, with our kids, that aren't sinful, right? They're innocent. They're just stupid. (laughs) But if you persevere in stupid decisions long enough, you'll get into sin, right, before you even know it. And so a great prayer is, God, would you give me the wisdom to stay out of sin? I mean, so much of the help me as God, just help me be faithful. I don't have the resources in and of myself to lead my family well to parent my kids well. Beg God for the mercy. Verse 9, there is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. It's like they're a grave. Verse 10, or excuse me. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. So there's a sense of, hey, Absalom is trying to dig a pit for me to fall in, so to speak. I just pray justice that he'd fall in the own pit. If somebody's lying or slandering about me, God, I'm not going to try to vindicate myself. Let it just boomerang on them. That's often the way the Lord works in the world. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. So again, I want you to see how God-centered his prayers are. He's not saying, God, can you believe what they're doing against me? I'm such a great guy. Ultimately, saying is, hey, God, this is what they're doing against you. I want you to hold them accountable because their sin is such a stench in your nostrils. And, and, and some of y'all, even the examples I was given earlier, it may bother you. But are we supposed to pray that way in the New Testament? And, and, I think, and I think maybe here's kind of a dividing line that helps us. If the deepest motive of your heart is really, hey, God, this is not about me and my comfort. It's about your glory. That's what I'm really concerned about. And it's a good prayer to pray. Now, that may be hard. I think this part might even be harder for some of us. The third point would be honor me. Honor me. Say, are we supposed to pray that way? But look at verses 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as a shield. Now, it doesn't necessarily use the word honor there. Partially, I was just trying to stick with the whole idea of three H's. Okay? <laughs> but, but it's certainly the concept. Bless me. Here's the way John Calvin describes bless in this passage. It's to prosper. It's to enrich abundantly with all good things. Listen, human beings were created for joy. We were not created for a bare minimum salvation. It's not like, well, Lord, let me just, 
suffer through life, and then I guess as long as I don't go to hell, I mean, you know, if I just can, maybe even there's purgatory. I guess that's better than hell. I just, you know, uh, I'll take whatever you're giving out. That, is that what your heart says? I mean, what our heart says, God, I, I want all the good stuff. I want all the blessings. And listen, that's not a bad prayer to pray as long as you have the patience to wait on God's timing and God's ways. And that you trust Him, that He knows what's best for you, what's best for me, more than you know for yourself. God, I want joy in you. I want to rejoice in you. I'm hiding you. I'm hoping in you. You're my refuge. Okay? Listen, this is just the nature of Yahweh. I was talking to a couple of guys recently that I was uh, mentoring, and you know, we got into the discussion of, well, What's the real goal of life? Is it happiness or holiness? And you know, it's a, it's a great Christian thing to say, whether you're talking about marriage or whatever. I'm sure we've all heard this before. Like, God's goal of your life is holiness, not happiness. And that's true in a sense. But the best way is really, no, God's, God's goal for your life is happiness and holiness. As long as you understand happiness as a subset of holiness. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you desires of your heart. God doesn't just want begrudging, bare minimum obedience. He wants a joyful obedience. No, he's got to give me that because a lot of times that's not what I'm feeling. But that ought to be the goal. So let's think application for just a second. Again, just be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you to share with anybody else. When you're hurting, what do you turn to first in your heart? Anger, diversions, you know, social media, cat videos on your phone or something, you know, <laughs> self-deception. It's not that bad, right? I'm fine. <laughs> Merely a flesh wound. <laughs> Revenge. They hurt me. I'm going to hurt them back. That one will keep you warm at night for a little while, won't it? Or is it, like David, the place of prayer? God, I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I don't like this situation. I'm running to you. I'm running to you, and I'm begging mercy. Tim Keller said this, the goals of petitioning should always be put the world right and put my heart at rest. <laughs> fix the world and fix me. <laughs> and to pray that way, you got to have two qualities. you got to have boldness. I mean, this is a pretty bold prayer, right? But you also have this submission. I'm going to be brutally honest. Here's what I want. Here's my boldness. But then here's my submission. I trust you. I'll wait. Even in the confusion. But true boldness and true submission flow from an attitude when you know you're an adopted child of the king. I can be super bold, right? He's my daddy. But he's also the creator of the universe. So I better be real submissive too. Did anybody notice anything interesting? Did anything stand out to you about Psalm chapter 5, verse 9? Did anybody like, hey, I think I've heard that somewhere else before. It's one of the verses that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3, where he's saying, this is how sinful all humanity is, the Jews and the Greeks, so that all the world has to shut their mouth before God. I mean, here David was just saying, the bad guys are like this. But Paul says, yeah, really, we're all like that. 
right? Because I bet we could all get up and give a testimony of how we've been slandered about. Somebody has gossiped about us. Somebody lied to us and it hurt. <coughs> that would be easy, right? Some of us are thinking of examples right now. But I bet we also all, we all should be able to, unfortunately, pretty quickly, give a testimony about where we slandered somebody else, where we gossiped, where we lied. And if we're like, well, yeah, of course, 20 years ago before I came to Christ, really? You've been perfect with your tongue? You're, you're the person James is talking about that's perfectly bridled your tongue since conversion? We've all done this. So we read this, and it's like, that's one of the reasons we have a hard time praying these prayers of judgment on the bad guys sometimes. It's kind of like, if God really starts judging all the liars and slanders and gossips, I'm getting judged. But again, notice verse 11. Take refuge in Him. And one commentator said this, what does it really mean to take refuge in Him? He said, it means to commit one's whole destiny to God. God, all my hopes in you. I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. What's God going to do? How's He going to care for me? How is He going to provide for me? Now, look where it says, and may you shelter them in the middle of verse 11. And the idea there is He covers us. He screens us. He protects us. He overshadows us. Like a mother hen gets her little baby, weak, vulnerable chicks and she puts her wing over them and holds them close to her heart and she protects them from whatever's coming. And that's a great picture. But we have an even better picture. Before our God spread out His arms on the cross to overshadow us to protect us from the wrath of God because he took it on his own back. So if we say, I take refuge in him, I hide under the cross, I hide under his spread arms and his pure side, I get forgiven. Now, Calvin again. After God has received them into his favor, he accepts their upright endeavors for perfect righteousness. You hear what he's saying there? When we come to Jesus, I'm committing my whole destiny to you. You're my only hope. Forgive me. Cleanse me for all my sins. And I'm not going to abuse your grace. By, by your grace, I'm going to try my best to be faithful. But I realize my faithfulness is shot through with weakness and stupidity and sin. But God in his mercy, here's the modern day way I'll say it. It's like he, he grades on the curve. He says, when you make genuine and sincere attempts at righteousness, although they are far from perfect. Because I'm such a loving father and you're covered in the blood of Jesus, they look upright to me. And I enjoy them. And I delight in them. And we can have that kind of intimacy with him. And there's a right way. Guys, there's a right way that we can say, Father, because of the blood of Christ, hear me in this hardship. Help me. Plead my cause. And even beyond that, honor me. I want to be honored with your grace. A crown of righteousness is promised for us, right? Surround me with your favor, your smile, your strength like a shield. Protect me. Encompass me. And guys, it's not only that we have the right, the responsibility to ask for those things. In the resurrection of Christ, we have the guarantee that we get them. So 
even in the darkest night of the soul, that ought to fill us with incredible hope. Everything's going to be all right in the end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us, your sacrifice. I pray that we will not be numb to the gospel. I pray that our hearts, on a daily basis, as we read the word, as we pray the word, there would be a fresh sense of tasting and seeing your goodness in a way that will get us through the next 24 hours with faithful obedience. God, would you make us happy in you? Would you honor us in the right times and the right ways? And in the midst of all the hardship, would you give us hope that in the end we're going to reign with you? I pray all this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.